The Wiser Podcast, conversations, public talks, and audio essays from the WITS Institute for Social and Economic Research. Hello, I'm Cizwe Mpofu-Walsh, and welcome back to The Wiser Podcast. Johannes Machinia is a Mellon postdoctoral fellow co-hosted by the African Studies Center at the University of Michigan and WISER. In this podcast, he explores the function of deportability in the imagination of undocumented migrants in South Africa. In this podcast, I'm going to examine the experiences of migration control and the condition of migrant illegality and deportability among undocumented Zimbabwean migrants in Emalahleni in Mpumalanga province. The podcast looks at how intensified migration control shapes undocumented migrants' sense and use of time. To situate this into a broader global context, I must highlight that intensified migration control and the consequent possibility or threat of deportation is not an exclusively South African phenomenon. Many countries around the world have been increasingly restrictive and tough in dealing with asylum seekers and undocumented migrants. I want to tell this story through Biola, my niece, and the person who acted as my guide in Ilandeni, which is an informal settlement in Emalathleni where many undocumented Zimbabweans lived. Biola was a happy and generous soul who opened the door for me and introduced me to the complexities of everyday life for undocumented migrants. She personifies the everyday struggles of living under the constant threat and fear of arrest and deportation. She was one of the deportable people. But first, I want to talk about Operation Fiela, a nationwide crime-fighting blitz that was launched in April 2015. Fiela in Sisutu means sweep away. The goal of the operation was to sweep clean South Africa of crime. During this operation, the police, accompanied by the military and immigration officials, launched numerous raids across the country's in neighborhoods, tax ranks, and other places suspected of harboring criminals. However, civil society groups condemned the operation as state-sponsored xenophobia. This was after they recorded numerous incidents of foreign nationals being rounded up in pre-dawn raids, being denied access to legal representation, or deported without due process. Illegal foreign nationals were the prime targets of the operation, whom officials perceived as the most likely perpetrators of crime. The numbers behind this operation actually support claims that Operation Fiela was indeed a form of state-sponsored xenophobia. Here are some of the statistics. Almost half of the 2,900 people arrested on July 30 and 31, 2015 countrywide were migrants accused of not having documents. And between April and July the same year, government had deported over 15,000 people who were in the country illegally. For the government, the statistics of those arrested and deported were a huge milestone in combating crime, particularly because there is an unwritten law that associates migrant illegality with criminality. But my biggest concern in this podcast is people like Biola who are the prime targets of such migration control measures like Operation Fiela because of their vulnerability to arrest and deportation. How do these people experience migration policing and how does it shape their sense and use of time in South Africa? During the days of Operation Fiela, online and social media platforms were awash with images and videos of armed police and military officials manhandling the criminals most of whom were arrested 
for the mere crime of not having the right papers to be in the country. Seeing those images and videos, I would picture my niece Biula. I worried a lot about her, about her safety. I would call her regularly to inquire about the situation. And in one of those regular collabs, she answered my call in an audibly panic-stricken voice. The situation is getting worse these days, uncle. The soldiers and the police came here. They were arresting people with no papers. There was confusion. Some women with babies abandoned their children. There was confusion, I tell you. The babies were left crying while their mothers ran to hide in the bushes. There was no time to carry the babies. On that day, Biula said the police and the soldiers only withdrew from Ilandeni after members of the community policing forum intervened. The people who had gone into hiding returned when it was clear that the state officials had left. Towards the end of June 2015, I told Biula that I would be coming to Imalathleni for my field week. We agreed that she would wait for me at the tax rank in town. I arrived in Imalathleni on a Saturday afternoon. For me, the place had the normal buzz of town life, with people going about their everyday business. When I arrived, Bula was not there. I called her and she told me that she couldn't come to town. Rather, she would direct me to a local tax rank where I would take another taxi to Elandeni. She had heard a rumor that Nasma Prisa paper, which means today the police are hunting for people with no papers. So to be safe, I decided to stay at home. While I did not see any police cars in town that day, it is interesting how a mere rumor created an atmosphere of fear and Beulah couldn't take the risk to leave her house. I eventually took another taxi and found Beulah waiting for me at a bus stop in Ilandeni. We went to her house, which was a single-roomed shack built on a cement slab with loosely joined and rusty corrugated iron sheets. The gaps in the walls were stuffed with rags to block wind and dust, which made the room poorly lit. Inside was a visibly old double bed on one side of the walls, and piled in a corner were two large suitcases. Beulah offered me a 20-liter plastic bucket to sit on, and as she was doing this, she also desperately tried to make me understand why she was living under such conditions. She said, Uncle, your niece doesn't have a chair in the house. You have to sit on this bucket. It's because we are people who live with their bags packed. I don't know what can happen. Anytime things can escalate and we will be chased out. Beulah told me that even after the end of Operation Fiela, police officials continued launching sporadic small-scale raids searching for undocumented migrants. Sometimes the raids were dramatic with the police descending unpredictably on Ilanden in convoys, armed with guns, and round up people suspected to be undocumented migrants. Other times, the police would conduct arbitrary stop-and-search missions, stopping suspected migrants or foreign-looking people in the streets and other public spaces, and demand to see their passports or permits. Such times are moments of acute deportability, moments during which undocumented migrants are made astutely aware of their illegal and deportable condition. These are moments that produce lingering fears of arrest and deportation, even if one is papers. 
It is this fear that restrained Beulah from coming to meet me in Imalahleni town, as we had agreed. But how does this fear play out? As with Beulah, this fear draws undocumented migrants into a temporal experience where they live with the fear and possibility of arrest and deportation. The actual or imagined possibility of encountering the police under right arrest and deportation as an ultimate eventuality which reminds migrants with papers or not that their time is running out and that they will eventually be arrested and deported. However, I found that this was also marked by a profound sense of uncertainty over when arrest and deportation will be effected. This makes deportability a condition with no temporal specificity, that is, a precise deadline for a promise of action. For me, this temporal paradox, in which undocumented migrants imagine deportation as an inevitable prospect but with no certain time frame, generates an experience of waiting in which they apprehensively anticipate and wait for arrest and deportation to materialize. This form of waiting plunges undocumented migrants into a state of anticipatory preparedness, which means they vigilantly calculate and the risks and costs of remaining in South Africa. Only when such risks and costs reach a certain threshold beyond which they perceive life in South Africa is unbearable, then they would be prepared to leave. Beulah lived in this state of waiting and anticipatory preparedness, living in a poorly furnished shack in an informal settlement and with bags packed demonstrated her preparedness to leave. Living with bags packed is actually an important trope signifying the life of people who, when the situation becomes tense and life unbearable, are ever ready to just pick up their bags and leave. Beulah did not have many possessions, not even a chair. That's why she made me sit on a plastic bucket. Having a chair in such circumstances of acute deportability would signify a relaxed lifestyle, which was far from a re from real for her and the other undocumented migrants in Ilandeni informal settlement. Beulah's readiness to live made her tolerate a life of discomfort, taking this as a temporary lifestyle suitable for her present condition of illegality and deportability. As she made the effort to justify her poor conditions by pinning them to her being illegal and deportable, I understood the struggle to lower my expectations of her lifestyle. It's because Zimbabwean migration to South Africa is hyped as migrating out of poverty. The migrants are aware that once one migrates from Zimbabwe, people will begin to make time-based expectations based on how one has been away from Zimbabwe. People expect to see some material and financial changes, and the longer the time one has migrated, the higher the expectations. Particularly for people left behind in Zimbabwe, it wouldn't make sense for one to migrate out of poverty only for them to plunge into conditions almost similar to or even worse than the ones they ran away from. But Beulah wanted to make me understand that her living in an informal settlement in a shake was not a benchmark for a migrant lifestyle. Neither did it mean that she didn't fence living comfortably. Instead, she feared that in the event of deportation, she would lose everything. The fear of losing property or possessions in the inevitable 
but unpredictable possibility of deportation caused Bula to defer comfortable life to her probable return to Zimbabwe. And this made her life a life of waiting. She lived in the present, a life of discomfort, while waiting to go to another life of comfort back in Zimbabwe. Despite living in an informal settlement and sleeping on an old bed, Bula's eyes lit up as she boasted about a two-bedroom house she had built and furnished in Zimbabwe. So the life she was living in Ilandeni suited her condition of being deportable, and she summed it by saying, which is translated to mean, this life of discomfort is just for the meantime while we are here. Beulah did not envisage to live her entire life in South Africa as an illegal and deportable person. She was building a home for herself, a comfortable home in Zimbabwe. She was investing for a future return to Zimbabwe and investing for the future of her three children. In the midst of all the predicament and uncertainty of deportability, Beulah was hoping to remain and work in South Africa long enough for her to be able to secure this future. However, her hope and dreams were shattered in early 2017 when she was diagnosed with cancer. Though she was supposed to go for an operation, the hospital staff kept postponing her date of the operation until her health deteriorated. She couldn't work anymore. She left her job as a domestic worker. In one of her last text messages to me, she said, I'm in pain. I'd rather go home and spend my days with my children. She left for Zimbabwe. And in a few months, she passed away. Intensified immigration control and deportability continuously remind undocumented migrants that their time in South Africa is in fact ephemeral and can be terminated anytime. This evokes a temporal experience in which the undocumented migrants anxiously wait and anticipate arrest and deportation as an inevitable but indeterminate prospect. <music>